You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. And today I want to preach on just the simple thought on we win. We win. See, if you're a child of God today, I'm looking around at some winners. He said, well, preacher, you don't understand. I've done some losing lately. Well, you may have done some losing, but the Bible says we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Amen? We win. Psalm 47 is a celebration of something that is the birthright for every child of God, and that is victory. (laughs) That is triumph. Folks, that's your birthright. If you're a child of God, that's what belongs to us. I love this morning, I love Carolina basketball. And if you know me, you know that. In fact, I actually have a a rare medical condition that if you cut me, I actually bleed Carolina blue. FRs. I do. I love Carolina. See, 11, now 11 miles from the great University of North Carolina, there are 11 miles from us, there's another university. It's Puke, Puke, no it's Duke, I was going to say Puke, it's Duke uh, University. <laughs> and I think I heard some boos out there and that's very appropriate. Uh, now these two schools form the greatest rivalry in sports. Now, we, our basketball teams, play one another at least two times a year. These games are often so great that throughout the year, ESPN will actually replay some of the old games. And, uh, and when I get a chance, I like watching some of these replays, some of these games that are being played. Now, here's the thing you got to know, though. I turn this game on. I mean, you know, and it's got Vince Carter and Antoine Jameson, or maybe it's an older one with Michael Jordan playing for Carolina. But I'm watching this game being played, and I get into it. And I'm like, yeah, man. You know, but then all of a sudden, maybe Duke pulls ahead in the game, and I'm like, oh, man, I start feeling kind of a little bit of stress. I get frustrated when our players get fouled and get on the line and then miss their free throws. And I'm like, oh, come on, guys. And there's just almost this anticipation throughout the course of the game. I get mad at the refs. I get mad at the refs for giving in to Coach K. Like they often do. Uh, Oftentimes Duke has at least eight players on the floor. Three of them are wearing stripes. Uh, But I get mad at the refs. But remember, this game was played back in the 80s or the 90s. Or in the early 2000s, I'm watching, the, it's a rerun. So as much as I really do get into it, and I really enjoy the game, but the fact of the matter is, my stress level is pretty low throughout the course of the game. You know why? Because I know the end result. We win! We win! You say, what about those replays that Duke wins? I don't know what you're talking about. I've never watched one of those, so I don't know about those. But I know about the ones where we win. I know what's going on. Amen. See, in this, because I know in the end we are going to beat the devils. You know, you have no idea how appropriate this illustration is. For those that don't know, their mascot is the devils. 
Some of you fools pull for it. Anyway, um, in this life, I get excited when I'm winning in life. When I look around at the church and we're winning, we're doing well. But I can get down when we start to lose. I get upset when life seems to make, be making unfair calls that favor uh, Coach K, I mean Satan. That favor Satan. I get upset when it seems like it's unfair. That's not right. I don't deserve that. This church, does, this family doesn't deserve that. Sometimes it seems like the calls, they're unfair, and they are in life. But when it comes down to it, I can still enjoy this life, and I can still live this life with my stress levels not so high. Because here's the thing, I know the end result. We win. When it all comes down to it, we win. One of their favorite highlights, for one of the favorite highlights from the New Carolina rivalry that they'll show is they'll show Jason Capel hitting a half-court three. And them all celebrating everything. The thing they don't show you oftentimes is that just put the game to overtime where we win. We win. So the point is this. We win, people. I mean, listen, it gets hard. I mean, the spiritual battle, you need to understand something. The spiritual battle was won at Calvary. The physical battle will be won at Armageddon. I know, now listen, I know some of you is reading through your Bibles this year. So uh, maybe you haven't got all the way through yet, and I don't want to ruin it for you. So I'm just letting you know, spoiler alert here, okay? But when you get down to the end of it in the last chapter, we win! We win! Psalm 47 kind of gives us a picture of that. Psalm 47 was written after King Hezekiah and Isaiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem upon the inhabitants of the, so much of the host of the Assyrian army being killed, they were saying, we win. We win. And here's the reaction. Psalm 47. The Bible says, Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. <laughs> yeah, I can't help but think about this just for a moment. I don't know whether this is King, uh, King Hezekiah or Isaiah that's writing this psalm, but we understand it was inspired by the Holy Ghost of God. But can't you just imagine? I just get these funny pictures and images in my head sometimes. I can just see Isaiah or maybe King Hezekiah standing up before the congregation and says, Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout. Woo! Shout unto God. And I can just see the people sitting there in church. Why did we have to get a southern preacher? Why did we have to get a southern king? And, and interestingly enough, that he was the king of the southern kingdom. Uh, but, uh, but no, because, you know, people think that stuff sometimes. Well, of course you believe in clapping and shouting. You're, you're southern. Uh, no, I mean, it ain't because I'm southern. It's because I believe in the Bible. So here's Hezekiah saying, Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. And I want you to understand something here. Now, they, this was a song, and so they were singing, but it wasn't based on the music, it wasn't based on the preaching, but it was based on truth. It was just based on facts. In other words, what God has already done is enough to stir us up to worship. Verse 2 says, For the Lord Most High is terrible. 
<laughs> Just bear with us. He is a great king over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. This is coming from a Jewish perspective, this part especially. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved. Selah. God is gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of His holiness. The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. This, the incredible and miraculous miracle wrought in the victory over the mighty Assyrians leads to a voice of triumph, and a vision of even greater conquest and victory. Notice, first of all, the voice of triumph here. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Psalm 26, verse 7 says this, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Did you know that Victory has a voice. Thanksgiving has a voice. The psalmist said, Psalm 26, verse 7, he talked about publishing with the voice of thanksgiving. You say, well, I believe I'm thankful. Well, you know what you ought to do? Voice it. Voice how what you're thankful for. Voice. You say, well, I'm not much about talking. Well, I don't know. I hear you complaining a lot about Washington, D.C. Amen. Uh, and I, that's fine. But man, how about having a voice of thanksgiving as well? How about having a voice of victory also? I mean, listen, uh, victory. And he, but he goes on to say that, Psalm 26, verse 7. Psalm 66, verse 8 says, Oh, bless our God, ye people, and make the voice of His praise to be heard. The voice of His praise to be heard. You know, me and Michael have talked about this before. I think he said he just had it happen to him a week ago when he was, or so ago when he was preaching. I believe it was in Westfield. And, and he was preaching and there was a lady come up to him uh, after church and Michael was preaching and just exalting and lifting up the goodness of the Lord. And uh, she came after the service and said, Preacher, that blessed me so much I just wanted to shout. I have people come tell me that sometimes. But he said the same thing I say. Why didn't you? Why didn't you? Uh, I, I used to tease, and, and this ain't, believe me, this isn't a, nothing, a, a southern or northern thing. This is just a human condition. I believe it's called pride. Uh, but uh, I, there's so many people that said, well, you know, preacher, I would praise the Lord if he really spoke to me. I mean, I think if God, I don't want it to be fake. I don't be real. If God really spoke to me, I believe that I would, pray, I believe that I would praise him. Well, if you're a good Bible-believing Christian... Uh, you believe that God does speak through the Holy Spirit, but you also know that God has already spoken in His Word. So in other words, you don't need a voice if you got a verse. That's a good principle to live by in the Christian life. And if you, if you look throughout the Bible, I think about the last five songs that are sung in the, in the Psalms. The last five Psalms start with, Praise ye the Lord, and end with, Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord, all ye people. 
Amen? And so the, the, the voice of triumph, the voice of victory. Notice how it ought to be. Number one, it ought to be cheerful. Cheerful. Go clap your hands. You ever clap your hands? You ever get excited about anything? I mean, <laughs> maybe you don't. I don't know. But if there's nothing, I mean, because I just want you to, th man, I'm getting ahead of myself. And, but, but just imagine, just get this picture with me, if you will. Remember, these people have just been under Assyrian threat for many, many months now. They have an enemy that has been surrounding them that literally is dying at the chance to come in and begin to take them and skin them alive. They can hardly wait. That's what the Assyrians wanted to do. The, Assyri the Assyrians, literally, these big old strong Assyrian soldiers, they couldn't wait to come in and get a hold of your kid. Limb, limb, limb. Your wife, you, and then you. And literally just pull till arms and legs and stuff start. I mean, terrible. That's what they've been under the threat of. And whoever survived would be taken off to be slaves under this empire. That's what's been under threat. That's what they've been surrounded by. That's what they've been inundated with. That's, that's, what the, that's what the news all around them was. Until finally, they look at it, and I can't imagine there was a lot of sleep going on that night, but they look and they can see, I mean, the sky is lit up with the fires of the camps of the Assyrians all around them. The next morning, it's going to all be over unless God intervenes. It's going to all be over. And at some time during the night, maybe, or sometime early the next day, they're going to see all these wars of the siege and, and, and those that are going to come in and, 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 the, and the shock puts that are going to throw stones and stuff over the wall and the ladders that they would have and the towers that they would push up to the walls and they would be able to climb and breach the walls. They had the, the, what they was called the sappers. They would get underneath and they would just chip away at the foundations of the wall. They were ready to totally destroy everything. That's what they'd been living under. But that night, in one fell swoop, the angel of the Lord came through, knocked out 185,000 of them, caused, Hezekiah, uh, caused uh, Sennacherib to hear a rumor and come back home never to return to try to defeat Jerusalem. <laughs> My point is, it's kind of hard for me to imagine Hezekiah saying, okay, get excited now, people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know... I just can imagine it was just a natural thing for them just, whoo, what happened? They're leaving? We survived? Our God came through? Amen. Amen. So cheerfully, but not only cheerfully, but universally. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Not only cheerfully and universally, but also vocally. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Frequently, verses 6 and 7 says, sing praises, sing praises, sing praises, sing praises. And again, sing praises. We cannot praise Him too frequently. We need to praise Him knowingly and discreetly. He said to sing praises with understanding. They had something to rejoice about. See, have you ever got to the place in your life, maybe you're there now, to where you've been left with one hope. The only hope you've got is God. Oh, man. Aren't we awful? 
Well, I don't know. My, my doctor said this, and the lawyer said this, and, and uh, my bank account's saying this. Looks like all I got's God now. You poor pitiful soul. <laughs> no, but what, what you find out, people, I mean, how many, I wonder how many of you ever found out. When you get down to where all you got's God, and you find out he's enough, amen? <laughs> he's more than enough. Hallelujah. And so uh, down through here we go and we see the grace of Almighty God. Do you remember, child of God, do you remember a time in your life where you were going down? Do you remember a time in your life when the enemy laughed and mocked at you and said there was no hope? But here you stand today by the grace of God. Why? Because God came through. He always delivers. We win. So there's the voice of triumph. But then this is pretty cool. There's the victory of our triumph. The victory of our triumph. Once again, he turns our eyes to the Lord. Notice what the Bible says there in verse 2. For the Lord most high. Now, first of all, we look at the word Lord there. The Bible says for the Lord. What do you notice interesting about that word Lord? It's in all caps. And anytime you find the word Lord in all caps, it's always a reference to Jehovah. See, God has more names. We call, you know, in our vernacular, we just call God either God or the Lord normally. But see, in the Bible, there were so many different names for God because He is so vast and He's got so many attributes that there would be certain names that would hone in on one of his, a certain part of His character. And the word Lord there, Hezekiah seizes upon first, which reminds us of God being the covenant-keeping God. The God who pledges Himself to His people. Man, that's powerful. The Lord, Jehovah, the one with the covenant-keeping character. See, we're reminded of that what God said He will do, He will do. That's one of the reasons why we encourage you so often to get into the Word of God, so that you can be encouraged on what He said He would do. So that you can have faith in what He said He would do. Because He's Jehovah. He is the covenant-keeping God. He is the Lord. But not only does He the Lord, the Bible goes on to say that He's the Lord Most High. Most High is another name for God, Elion. Elion is the possessor of heaven and earth. He's the covenant-keeping God, but He's also the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. See, this is actually a millennial title for God. And when I say millennial, millennial meaning a thousand, and the Bible promises that the Lord will reign for a thousand years upon this earth. But this Most High is a millennial title. It means that He's the most great in power, lofty in dominion, eminent in wisdom, and elevated in glory. Now, then we get to the next word there. The Lord is, the Lord most high is terrible. Now, we don't normally say something's terrible in a positive way. But now, the psalmist was not saying the Lord is terrible from our perspective. It's a whole lot like, can you imagine, you know, uh, so when there's been some POWs that have been held prisoner of war for some time, can you imagine when the Allied forces begin to come in to free them and it's an overwhelming force coming in to the guards, the enemy that may hold those soldiers? Listen, that's a terrible sight. 
They see the guns. They see the weaponry. They see the out-and-out power coming against them. But do you think those POWs that they're coming to rescue see them as a terrible sight? No, no, no. They see them as a sight to be welcome. Just to, just to go back to last week's illustration, if you remember, I talked about when I was a kid and me and my buddies were planning on going and fighting these guys for throwing rocks at his dad, but we were outmatched as far as size uh, and strength was concerned. And so we were actually a little bit surprised when we went to fight these guys and was running out, started walking toward them that they turned around and started running. But if you remember the story, if you weren't here, what we didn't realize is, our, is my, uh, my friend's uh, brother-in-law, big old Roger, funny thing, I told you, I forgot to tell you his last name last week, Roger Payne, just a good last name. But again, he looks like, he looks like a linebacker. I mean, he's a big old strong dude, big broad, sh broad shoulders, mean look on his face. What we didn't realize, as, as we were trying to stand there and face the enemy, he, there was a terrible sight behind us. When those boys saw Roger back there, they were terrified. When we looked back and saw Roger back there, we were relieved, amen? Because we knew we were going to be okay. Uh, but th that's the point I'm trying to make. He's a terrible God for those who obstinately go against God. The Bible says he's a great king. Notice what the Bible says. For the Lord, Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. Now, this is significant in the context of the Assyrians and the story there. Because the Assyrian kings called themselves the great king. The great king Sennacherib. But God steals that title and says, Oh, no, no, your king is on the run. My God is the great king. You know, for millennia, supreme rulers and regimes have asserted themselves as gods. One of the features, in fact, of communism is a staunch atheism. A, a, a whole a, a passionate hatred against God and the teaching of God. But isn't it interesting when you look at the great rulers, if you will, because, of course, communism, and we have this, this is kind of what goes on in our country under the name of socialism, but when you try to say there is no God, and then they try to set the government up as God, and when they try to say that our rights, that we weren't endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, they say that's not a thing. Where then do the rights come from if they don't come from God? Those rights come from the government. And in essence, they make the government a God. But what ultimately happens is somebody ends up being over this government. And in, in these cases, you think about the Lenins, the Stalins, the Maos, and others. Folks, when you think about it, they only want you to have faith in them. I mean, Mao, for instance, in China, that, that, I mean, there, there is no such, they didn't believe in God, you couldn't believe in God. Of course, Christianity grew nonetheless. But during the, during the uh, Cultural Revolution, you had to bow before an, an image of Mao on a daily basis. You know, talk about clapping your hands. Uh, there's stories of Stalin that when people, that when Stalin would speak, the applause would go on endlessly. Because nobody wanted to be the first person to quit clapping. Because they were such, and you think, see if any of this stuff sounds familiar. You were supposed to be ratting people out, telling on people if they didn't support the government fully and so forth and didn't follow all the government rules. 
And so they were scared if they quit clapping first, they might fall under suspicion. The only point I'm trying to make is these people, interestingly enough, say they don't want God and God doesn't exist, yet they want to set themselves up as God. Or they want to set their regime or their government ideals up as God. But folks, and these are all just precursors to the Antichrist. Now, the Lord lifts, lifts the prophet's eyes here in verses 3 and 4. The Bible says, He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of the God of Jacob, whom he loved. Now, this is just elaborating on the Most High King. The Most High and Great King. Why? Because God is giving the prophet in this psalm a glimpse. A glimpse of the day that is yet to come when the army of this earth will march into the valley of Megiddo as foretold in Revelation as well as other places. The Bible is actually showing a time when the kings of this earth will come against Christ at the end of the seven years of Jacob's trouble, the, the last week of Daniel's prophecy. And, uh, and so the promises that are being read here to Israel. See, the Bible prophesies in Revelation 16 when the rulers of this earth will actually, listen now, the rulers of this earth will actually form an alliance with the intentions of defeating Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, I'm pausing for laughter there. I mean, and, and, and so there, there's no wonder that the Bible, the Bible literally says in this context, Psalm 2 is a reference to the, the, the battle of Armageddon, when the armies of this earth gather together to make war with the Lamb. You know what the Bible says in Psalms 2? He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. Really? Really? Y'all are going to come against me? This is all you got? I mean, listen. I mean, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. That's going to be a terrible sight for those armies that are gathered together against him. Amen. But that's my God. That's my king. Psalm 4, I love this. Notice what it says here. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved. <laughs> you know, I love the fact that God has stuck with Israel all these years. Amen. I mean, for the, especially for some, some of you, the first time you start reading through the Old Testament and you start finding out who these great, this, this great Israel is, you start figuring out what is wrong with these people. They're the worst. But God still says, no, but they're my people. I've given them a promise. There's a covenant that I have with them, and God was going to honor His covenant. He's going to stay with them, and He stays with them through thick and thin. And folks, I'm telling you, God is not done with the nation of Israel. You cannot study the Bible, rightly divided in context, and believe uh, that God is done with Israel. You cannot study the Bible uh, in, in proper context and believe in replacement theology. We've been grafted in and so forth, but God has not replaced Israel. He is going to stand with Israel all the way through and fulfill His promises to Abraham and to David and so forth. And so the great king, He is going to rule. All right, and so then lastly, we see the vision of triumph this morning. Verses 5 through 7, the Bible says, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Now this is amazing. 
This takes us back to the basis of the fact that we win. See, he's saying that we won in the battle against the Assyrians. He's looking all the way ahead to the end of the book of Revelation right here in this psalm and saying we win in the end. But then he reminds us of the basis of this victory. In verse number 5, I believe this to be a reference to the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ following His resurrection. The Lord is gone up with a shout, with the sound of a trumpet. Oh, my friend, listen. God being resurrected, he, he died. He rose again and He ascended in victory. The cross is still the centerpiece of civilization. The cross is the centerpiece of the Word of God. Everything in the Old Testament is leading up to the cross. Everything uh, that goes uh, on after Calvary is looking back at the cross. In fact, when the Lord is looking for a mighty title for the Lord Jesus Christ as the ruler throughout the tribulation period, throughout the, the reign and for, for now on, the Bible says He's the Lamb of God. Focusing on this very fact that He died and rose again. So there's a vision that goes all the way to Calvary in this. And I love this as the Bible goes on. The Bible says in verse number uh, 5 again, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. And once again here, the, the Lord is uh, going up. When it, there again, the Lord is Jehovah, the comforter, the revealer of secrets, the covenant-keeping God. The word, when he uses God there, that is Elohim, the creator and the conqueror over all the powers that raged against him. And then we go on not only to see the vision of triumph, verse 7, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. Folks, we see the volume of our triumph. We win. He sees a throne in verse number 8. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of His holiness. We see the throng of triumph. Verse 9 says, The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. Just as sure as Jesus came the first time, He's coming the second time. We win. We win because of Calvary. We win because He's our Savior. We win because we've accepted Him as our Savior. And no matter what comes our way, we know God's grace is sufficient. We know He cares about us. We know He's got a plan for our lives. And though it may go through, through difficulties, though we may make boneheaded decisions that make life harder on us, or maybe somebody else makes decisions, don't get mad at God for about decisions that people make people. I know people do that all the time. Oh, why this or that? It's like, and, and so many times it's because, well, because somebody chose to do that. God didn't make that choice for them. People make these choices. You make these choices oftentimes. But the fact of the matter is, folks, we win. We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. No matter what comes our way, there's nothing in this life that can defeat us unless we let it. We can't be defeated unless we allow ourselves to be defeated. And when I'm talking about defeat here, I'm talking about especially from a spiritual standpoint. Politically, we can be defeated. 
I just say that because the, uh, the, the success of Christians in the political influence realm in the, in the last 2,000 years is actually a very small percentage. Now, I believe we can and will win. We've had victories. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But I'm just saying from a spiritual standpoint, we absolutely cannot lose. But it's also true from a physical standpoint. Just as sure as Jesus came the first time, I love what the Bible says by the prophet Isaiah that was prophesying during the time of Hezekiah. He spoke about how that the Lord would come, how that the virgin would conceive and bring forth a son. And, uh, and, 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 and unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And upon his shoulders shall be the government and so forth. He shall be called, you know, the Prince of Peace and, and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's the, the same verse that says unto us a child is born, comma, goes on to say he was born, that's Bethlehem. Unto us a son is given, that's Calvary. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the government shall be on his shoulders, comma, 2,000 years or so, he's going to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords on this earth. We win. We win. You say, what's, what's going to go into this next administration? Just wait two years. We're going to do something then. Well, I hope so. I mean, and, and I, I hope that we make great strides. And, and as long as we're here, man, that we keep on working, we keep on making a difference. And that, listen, honestly, Christian people stay involved in the culture which includes running for office and things of that nature. However, ultimately, this world is not our home. We're not trying to get Jesus voted into the White House. We're not trying to get Jesus voted into the throne. It's already decided. The kings of the earth, oh man. You know, there was people obviously crying foul after this most recent election. But you talk about the kings of the earth, they, they're going to try to do everything they can to keep Jesus from coming, setting up his throne. But buddy, he will not be stopped. And ultimately, we win. Ultimately, he sets up his kingdom on this earth and rules and reigns for a thousand years, and we get to rule and reign with him. Ultimately, the Bible says in Revelation 19, how that uh, during Armageddon, when they're gathered together against him, how that he's going to come back on a white horse. And the armies of heaven are going to follow him on white horses. Anybody want to go uh, for a horseback ride through the sky? Following Jesus. But I'm telling you, we're not going to be doing any fighting. Folks, he's going to come down and do the destroying and do the judging of those who have fought against him and the people of God. Israel will be restored and their promises inherited. We will be blessed and rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, this psalm that goes to a a national victory that we can apply to many of our personal victories goes far ahead to remind us that there's a victory that was won at Calvary. And there's a victory that's won ultimately when God will set things right on this earth. He's going to rule for that thousand years with the rod of iron. After that, he's not going to need to when we go into the eternal state. But what I'm telling you today is that, folks, we win. And in Revelation 19, one of the things I like there is that there's, there's four times, speaking about praising God, that you'll find the word hallelujah in the New Testament. And they're all four in the book of Revelation, chapter number 19, where the people, us, 
I'm there. Have you ever stopped and think about that, by the way? John saw people there saying hallelujah, and he saw me there. If he was seeing the future, he saw me. Uh, yes, amen. But anyway, saying hallelujah, and then they're told again, hallelujah, and once again they praise the Lord, hallelujah. But I'm always amused at the fourth hallelujah, because finally the Bible says the angel comes down, not many things change, I guess, even in heaven, but an angel finally comes down and says, okay, everybody now. <laughs> and then everybody says, hallelujah. We win. Amen. 